This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Boker Tov, Shavuot, Shavuot Tov, Chodesh Tov, how are you? Boker Tov, Chodesh Tov, yeah, huge day of prayer mm. held yesterday, Erev Rosh Chodesh, um, four events going on in Gaza and of course elsewhere. And in spite of the war on our borders and the threat to our personal security, people fighting and being injured, unfortunately, our attention will be drawn away from the war today uh, to the, uh, uh, the the Dutch city of The Hague, where, of course, the International Court of Justice will sit on this matter of genocide. Um, and we have to start with it, Howard, because mm, it's a big, mm. big story. And um, we really have no idea what to expect there's going to be two days of hearings and of course in two days the the judges at the international court of justice will not be able to make any decision on the issue of genocide but apparently the reason um for the two days now urgently put together is on the issue of the injunction about continuing the war and there is an application for an injunction against israel to actually stop continuing the battle in Gaza. And we are led to understand that the bar for the judges to be able to agree to impose an injunction on Israel is extremely low. All that needs to be proved, apparently, is that people will be hurt by continuing the war. And if that can be Isn't proved, that the very definition of a under- war, unfortunately? Right. And my understanding is that if that is proved, then the judges are theoretically in a position to declare uh, uh, to declare an injunction against Israel to, to stop continuing the war. I also understand that an injunction was also imposed upon Russia to stop their war in Ukraine. So, of course, the next question is, and so what? Let's assume that the uh, judges do decide that an injunction should be imposed upon continuing the war. Does that mean that Israel will stop? It's unclear to me whether that has any legal bearing at all. But clearly, once you start to oppose, once you recognize the um, uh, the court as Israel is doing by sending a delegation and by agreeing to respond to the charges and all that kind of stuff, and also, by the way, by appointing a judge, an Israeli judge, to sit on the bench, Israel effectively uh, recognizes the authority of the court. Once you recognize the authority of the court, and then you choose to ignore the decisions that are handed down by the court, it's unclear to me where that particular argument goes from there. So I don't really know what will happen if an injunction is imposed upon Israel to stop the war, whether Israel will actually take note of that lot and lot of things are really unclear to me about where all of this is going. But there is yeah. one thing that I would say. Hmm. Um, 
but when when looking at this case now you know the irony is that this case is being brought against israel who is responding to an attack that was made so israel is the respondent in the war um, and has decided um, to take things into its own hands in order to ensure that that a massacre like the one that happened on october the 7th can't happen again and in order to achieve that the hamas infrastructure is being destroyed so israel was really the injured party in the war let's say in terms of how things panned out and if there were people out there countries people out there who were really interested in humanitarian driven aims purely without any political agenda then it would be my suggestion to impose an injunction on hamas to not use their infrastructure or even better to take their infrastructure down that threatens the state of israel and secondly to release the hostages and if there was an injunction imposed on hamas to stop using their terror infrastructure against israel and to release all the hostages the war would be over and the humanitarian crisis would simply be taken away that would be the end of mm, the story mm, mm. So if that is really your intention, why not use a slightly different approach? Why attack the party who is the respondent in these particular um, circumstances? And of course, part of the problem is that Hamas is not a signatory to the Genocide Accord and not recognized by the United Nations, which is constituted the International Court of Justice, and is not really a recognized party at all at the International Court of Justice. And therefore, I'm not sure that you could actually bring a case against Hamas itself. I think that would be an interesting uh, experiment, but I'm not sure that that's possible. But my suggestion would be try that approach mm. rather than attacking Israel against uh, while Israel is trying to respond to a situation. And, you know, I'm not really sure exactly what Israel's case will be when it presents uh, tomorrow. I think Israel's turn will be tomorrow mm -hmm. to present its case. We do understand that there are going to be some quite horrifying bits of evidence that are going to be brought, including some of the details about what happened in the massacre on October the 7th. Um, but the question is, does Israel need to simply answer to the to the charge of genocide and prove why it is not carrying out genocide? Or is Israel going to use a slightly um, opposite approach by accusing Hamas of being the party responsible for the genocide? I don't know whether that really defends Israel's case, but it's well, 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 it depends a on what. Yeah, so I think it depends on what Israel wants to achieve. If they want to right. get their story across, which is what I'm hoping, uh, and uh, what I wrote about in terms of unintended consequences, giving Israel the opportunity to actually showcase uh, its, its perspective where it hasn't always been allowed to do that, then they would be wasting an opportunity if they didn't. Um, Anthony, with all of this. And that said, when I when I look at Netanyahu's English video last night, um, and of mm -hmm. course the fact that it was in English is is quite significant. It does indicate sure. that that the the International Court of Justice is having an impact on perhaps how this is being communicated, some of the decisions that are being made. Uh, and, Undoubtedly. You know, and, and I'm not sure, that t or, uh, you know, all these things can be true at the same time. I think it's a horrific thing that's happening with International Court of Justice. But that said, uh, maybe when I heard his speech last night, I thought, well, you know, this is positive, actually. What's your thought? Well, 
Um, my thought is that, you know, it certainly had an impact on behavior at the government level because we've noticed that an instruction has been issued to government ministers to be cautious about what they say because what their words might be interpreted to mean that Israel is pursuing a policy of genocide because don't forget that um, as I described yesterday in order to prove genocide you have to prove not only action but you have to prove intent and if people are going out making statements about what Israel intends to do and what Israel would like the IDF to do that in those statements might be interpreted as intent for genocide and so therefore one of the things that this case has certainly done is made the government a lot more cautious about public statements that are being made because of the fear that those statements might be interpreted as showing intent to genocide so that's certainly um, one of the things but you know there, there is little doubt that the international international law in general has had a massive impact on how the idf in israel operates and these days um, it's so built into battle plans that lawyers sit in the control command room the war room lawyers are sitting there and every single operation that is being planned and and uh, the uh, permission authorization is being handed to the field in order to carry out including bombing raids by the air force every single operation has to be signed off by the idf legal team before it's carried out because of the concern that this might be construed as against international law for one reason or another and so the lawyers are busy in real time documenting everything why an attack is taking place and why it complies with international law at that particular moment in time so there is un, there is little doubt that the whole prospect of having to answer to these actions in an international court somewhere whether it would be the international court of justice or some other um, location all of that is very much uh, stitched into the daily operations of the idf and indeed has uh, also significant impact on the way that the government works all right i think that uh, that does give us that perspective let's just talk about uh, let's talk about what's happening on the war front it's been confirmed that the israeli war cabinet did meet yesterday that was to discuss a potential hostage exchange deal uh, i've heard such strange things about this deal what uh, what do we know well, we, we only know what is being speculated about because nothing formal has been announced. And in fact, there has been no um, formal notification, any press uh, issue of any sort issued by the government or the IDF about all of this. And um, so this is really information that's being leaked into the press. And I certainly can't vouch for the accuracy of any of the information. I can only tell you what's being speculated about in the press. So all of this that I'm going to say next is pure speculation that I've read from a number of different sources in the press and heard also on the radio and TV and where people are speculating about this. First of all, apparently there is a new Qatari proposal for a ceasefire that would apparently see Hamas leaders actually deported from Gaza and the hostages would all be released in return for the withdrawal of the idea from Gaza completely. That is more or less mm. the way in which um, the current uh, speculation is going in terms of a possible deal on the table. There is also 
the aspect of releasing Palestinian prisoners um, from Israeli prisons, which is also out there somewhere on the table, and I'm not quite sure exactly what weighting that is receiving. But at the moment, that seems to be the crux of the deal, that the leaders will be allowed to leave Gaza, the hostage will, will be freed, and the IDF will effectively withdraw from Gaza. Those are the main aspects. And um, for me, um, the fact that the leaders are leaving Gaza, one has to ask whether that means a sense of capitulation, uh, them leaving not only physically, but actually leaving leadership positions and them ex effectively being excommunicated from Gaza. And I think that that's really what the Israeli government would like to see, that this particular head be cut off from Gaza and that leadership not have any influence. And I think that it would be wishful thinking to believe that even if they were to be allowed to leave Gaza and to be disconnected from Gaza, whatever it is, I think it would be wishful thinking to believe that that would effectively mean that they would no longer have leadership control over what's happening in Gaza, which I think is what um, the, the Israeli government would like to achieve. So I don't really know what the main considerations are around this proposal. Clearly, the release of the hostages is paramount, of paramount importance. The safety of our troops in Gaza is of paramount importance. Being able to live over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years without having that sword of Damocles hanging over our heads in the form of the rocket launching capabilities from Gaza constantly being there and we could wake up on any given morning and find that we're being uh, attacked again by missiles being fired mm, from Gaza mm. that have been collected up. All of that we somehow need to be able to remove uh, and I think it's extremely difficult to achieve but I would have thought that that's, those are really the main uh, kind of um, considerations that the Israeli government would be giving. But we do understand that the war cabinet met yesterday on this issue. The, uh, it's a Qatari pro proposal that's also being sponsored by the US and uh, the Egyptians are also involved there somewhere. Um, the rest really is very, very unclear. Uh, just a couple of, uh, of questions. And uh, Michael wants to know uh, if uh, with 150,000 rockets that Hezbollah supposedly has, couldn't they overwhelm the Iron Dome completely should they want to? A terrifying thought. Uh, is the Iron Beam operational yet and what impact would that have? Okay, so the second question is the easier one to answer because the iron beam is not yet operational. Uh, and the iron beam, um, just to remind listeners, was designed initially to try to have some sort of an impact on the very, very short range missiles, the mortars and the anti-tank missiles that are being lobbed over the border, particularly from the north, which would um, be effectively um, uh, the the threat from those sh very very short term the short range missiles would be much reduced if we had the iron beam but that's not operational and not ready yet and also the iron beam is in due course supposed to replace the iron dome and, and on a much cheap, cheaper basis without the need to actually fire missiles each of which cost a few thousand shekels and um, there would just simply be a laser beam that could intercept these missiles so unfortunately that's not ready yet could the iron dome be overwhelmed in theory i think it could be overwhelmed overwhelmed we don't have a much public information about what the iron dome is actually able to do how much uh, how many missiles at once it is able to intercept 
We also don't really have any public information about how many Iron Dome units we have in Israel and how many of them might be deployed in the north or the south. All of this is pure speculation, but there is certainly a constellation where the Iron Dome could be overwhelmed. I think we saw that to some degree on October the 7th when we had that massive barrage of rockets and they tried to overwhelm the Iron Dome by sending many, many rockets in a single direction, some of which clearly got through our protection. But overall, even with 130,000 missiles which are aimed towards Israel, I would have thought that the IDF would be relatively confident that the Iron Dome is sufficiently smart enough only to be activated against those missiles which uh, have uh, a threat against civilian and military installations rather than trying to fire against everyone, even those that are not Mm -hmm. going to do any damage or or create any threat. Anthony Rach, that is where we leave it. Thank you, as always, for the Israel Report. Wishing you a fantastic weekend, a Shabbat Shalom, and uh, let's hope that things go well over the next two days. We'll catch you on Monday at 7.45. That Israel report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Hi, it's Barry Cohen from the Blue Agency. Israel is currently facing one of its biggest challenges ever. All of Klal Israel is praying for the safety of our soldiers and the return of the hostages. We hope and pray that our soldiers and security forces will prevail and that they will all return home speedily and triumphant. We hold the hands of our clients and friends who have children serving in Sahal, who are protecting Israel and Jews around the world. May Hashem protect us all.